This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. We've got a little bit of a lull and finance news, so we're actually going to be covering something that I don't see a lot of podcasts covering, uh, our pick history, failed specs, successful specs, what that means, what it looks like, what we do, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, admitting, you know what, sometimes we mess up, we get it wrong. Looking at the spreadsheet that we keep of our picks, I got it wrong a lot, at least based on current values, but uh, you know, that's that's okay. Yep. So let's uh, let's just get started then. All right. Uh, I'll start first because uh, my specs are kind of they're not all over the place, but I pick them up for various reasons and in various methods, and that kind of determines where things are. So I wanted to actually start with one of the only specs I have left that I was paying cash for when this was a card in standard, and it is uh, a little one-two that could. I have about I don't know fifty death right shaman. <laughs> kicking it around here that uh, I was picking up for cash when they were in standard alongside uh, Abrupt Decay because the cards were good. Modern was still an up-and-coming format, so Deathrite Shaman had not really picked up yet or had been banned yet. But I was still picking them up, picking them up into the banning, and Legacy was starting to kind of push the card a little more. So I was like, all right, I'll keep picking them up now because my players are done playing them in standard. They are banned and modern, and no, the only person that plays Jund already had their set, so I'm just going to pick them up casually, basically, at buy list. And yeah. I kept picking them up, picking them up, picking them up. I'm like, all right, either this card's going to pop in Legacy, or it's going to be unbanned in modern. So I kept going at buy list, <laughs> waiting for the card to go up in value. And it just never went up in value, but the card is just good. It was solid. It kept holding, despite the fact that it was just a Legacy staple at the time, and then uh, Commander. I guess. And then it was reprinted and then banned in Legacy. So finger guns, I'm left with like 50 Deathrite Shaman that I can't do much with. Yeah. And uh, I got out of Abrupt Decays at some point for uh, break-even or value. I was actually looking for them recently. I thought I still had them. I don't know where they are. So they sold out. Uh, and then the rest of what I have here is kind of... Well, one, at, one spec is still around from the same time period. This one's a little more unique. This was back in the heyday of Modern when Birthing Pod was still a card. Green-White Taxes was a deck, right? So in Origins... Or not Origins. M15, they printed Hushwing Griff. That card is great. Yeah. Ha- uh, Thalia number two. The card yeah. is good. It's like, okay, if this deck is still going to be a thing, this card is going to be part of the deck. And then the yeah. deck never was a thing. And the card never saw play. But the nice part was that was not a cash buy. Those were always throw-ins because they were less than a dollar. Nobody played them in standard. They just kind of existed, floated along, fell out of existence. So they were just like yeah. even out of trade pickup kind of stuff. It was very easy, and I'm not sitting on many because I kind of learned my lesson from Abrupt Decay and Deathrite Shaman that just going too deep on stuff like this could lead to failure. And while there wasn't a lot of capital tied up in them because uh, M15 in that era, I was more active in playing, so I had a lot more backstock to just trade away for this stuff. I didn't want to tie myself into this other this spec when there were other possibly good cards like Eidolons at the time. And some other odds and ends for modern. That worked better in that metagame. And then from that I kind of changed the way I did things and I started looking more at EDH because that became a, a much more popular format. 
there was a very long time between the first and the second set of commander decks between the the riku era and the the next run it was like four or five years i think something like that yeah something like that yeah and i think we had a modern master set in between and so Watsi kind of gave commander time to really simmer and 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 pop up and I changed jobs. I'd started making a little more money, and I was able to start pushing things around a little more and watching alternative formats and buying cards from different places to try and arbitrage or make money on. So I started watching for unique effects and things I can buy in on. And a lot of my specs at that time were fairly small and just quick churn. Uh, two yeah. trades, trying to uh, grind <clears throat> profit here and there. Not to buy list, actually. It was a lot of uh, trading or cash into trade at the time. I hadn't okay. really, not perfected, but really taken the time to do a lot of the buy list stuff. I, I was doing a TCG player store as a, kind of a not quite consignment for another player up here, but I basically had a lot of players who were like, I want this stuff sold. Like, I just want it gone. I want max value, and so I was running that. Yeah. And then I was taking that profit and re-upping it and moving into old school and reserve list. So along the way, Commander starts coming around and they start printing a lot more unique effects in Standard, and cards that just kind of seem like they're going to slot into Commander product over time, because these players establish themselves, they establish what they're doing, and you can kind of look at things and say, okay, this is a big, goofy effect, right? Or yeah. this card just draws cards at a very low and convenient price. So let's move on that. And what I went on I have in my infinite spec box, right before Deathrite Shaman, is another little card. Bounty of the Luxa. I think oh, yeah. I've got close to 100 Bounty of the Luxa, non-foil, and about 12 foil. Same, actually. It was, yeah, it was a, a spec of ours early on. Yeah. And while I do have faith in this card to be a gainer over time, I consider this a failed spec because while I have moved in on it at a cheap price, I'm pretty sure I paid close to 50 cents for each of these, the card has done literal nothing. Negative. All yeah. it is, this is a an 800 no 400 count box and it's just sitting in this box taking up space that is not really what you want unless you know this is going to be a long-term spec yeah. i did not expect this card to be a five-year spec i thought it was going to be one to three and i'd be out of them <laughs> low and behold Oops. i'm yeah. still sitting here i'm close to 100 of them i think the card does have legs and it is one of those effects that is unique nah. Unique is the wrong word here. It is a very commander-style effect. Where yeah. you do one thing one turn, you do another thing another turn, and one of them is drawing a card. Like That's a very commander-style effect. So yeah. it does lend itself to a reprint, and I am wary of that. And if it is reprinted, then that's when I'll lose, and this will be an absolutely failed spec. Yeah. 100%. And one of the, the last ones I moved on for commander only that I thought would be a quick flip but has not turned into one is Wormfang Manta. Yeah. And we discussed this card before the cast. And if you don't know yeah. what Wormfang Manta does, you're not alone. <laughs> so, this is a 7-drop Nightmare Beast from Judgment. It's a 6-1 flyer that says when it ETBs, you skip your next turn. When it leaves play, you take an extra turn after this one. So why, in the year 2018, did I buy Hararuya out of foil and non-foil Wormfang Mantas for under 50 cents each. Well, uh, 2018, if I was incorrect, uh, Guilds of Rav was released, and with it, Lazav the Multifarious came along. Now, Lazav, 
as your commander is a two drop, which allows you to pay X and turn Lazav into a copy of a creature that costs X from your graveyard. Well, if you pay seven, it can become a Wormfang Manta, and you don't get the ETB uh, negative effect. All you have left is to find a way to sacrifice Lazav to gain an extra turn. While with Ashnod's Altar, two mana, and Nim Death Mantle, that is effectively infinite turns. So I was banking on Lazav to pick up as a commander in EDH, pull in Wormfang Manta because it's yet another infinite turn combo, and take a card that was effectively bulk along for a ride. And we are sitting here almost a year later, and this card, I don't even know. I, it doesn't pain yeah. me to look at it. I just refuse it to look it up. It's it's interesting because something like that seems a lot more easier than the Wanderwine Prophets combo with Anala. Yeah. But when that leaks, like Wanderwine Prophet foils shot up to forty bucks for a little bit, and they're still sitting around twenty. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember picking some up from Card Kingdom for you know four dollars for foils and buy listing them to Card Kingdom for fifteen each. Yeah, this is so now TCG market a thirty cent card, Wormfang Manta. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. The So at this point, again, it is either a five-year spec or a dud. And at this point, I think it's going to be a dud unless we get something ridiculous in the next couple of uh, sets that makes this card worthwhile, which is always a distinct possibility. Yeah. Always is a distinct possibility. So I'm not unhappy to hold it because it does loop, unlike Bounty of Luxa, which is just like kind of a pillow uh, 40 card. This yeah. card does things. It gets the job done. It's like, it's like Colt 45, right? <laughs> Works every time. Every time. Every time. And uh. f from there, I just that's how I I learned along the way. So when yeah. I when I picked up these specs and I failed on specs that I went deep on, it was all a learning experience. A lot of the specs that I went on short on, uh, things like Sliverhive, I didn't go tall on. I went short on were were wins because they were easier to see a long term growth in those cards. Yeah, and so picking up Sliverhive and Urborgs, Nykthos, like these obviously powerful cards that have obviously applicable effects in multi in multiple formats, turned out to be a lot better than just trying to find these niche little cards that are going to be good in one format. The yeah. exception to this rule thus far is Sunbird's Windvocation. Uh. I still have a million of them, and I still believe in that card because I don't think people have tried it. Uh, that's really what I think it comes down to. And this card can only be played so many times on different Commander series before people just see how good it is. And it could just be yeah. that it rotates in September, and then six months later, it goes up. It could be a year after that. But I think this card is currently held down by the fact that it's in Standard. It's going to see rotation soon. And for whatever reason, it's just not like a perennial red card yet. Or yeah. a, in, in, like the, in a mono red deck or a, a red X style deck. Eventually, we'll get there on it, and I'm fine sitting on it. And I'm, if you see me looking down, it's because I literally have two of my spec boxes next to me. One just labeled Infinite Quantity, which is where my, uh, my sunburn is. thing, man. Uh, yeah, yep. Uh, that's the second card in the box, for what it's worth. And then <laughs> into Sunbird Invocation, Bounty of Luxa, uh, Deathrite Shaman, and uh, Simic Ascendancy. Anything yep. that I have more than like eight copies of goes in this box. Yeah. The one box we don't see here, and this is the, this is kind of what my specking has really led to, is this box of cards that at any moment is ready to pop. 
And yeah. I think that's where my abrupt decay, some my leftover abrupt decays are. That's where my court of callings are. My uh, foil uh, collected companies, my foil yeah. scavenging users, all these cards that saw modern play had a price that was either too low for the time or was depressed for some reason, like scavenging is, that the mm -hmm. moment they come back sh can and will just go up. Uh, Monastery oh, yeah, Mentor sure. was in that box. And yeah. when that popped in Vintage and Legacy with uh, the top combo, I outed my mentors. Yeah. yeah. So like these two kind of like hot medium boxes of you know maybe 800 cards has led to this one distilled fat pack of like pure fire yeah and it, this has been a multi-year process starting at return to rev you know i i started coming back so i had to infuse my collection with cash because i would i moved from one state to another i would i changed jobs i wanted to start playing standard again so i had to start somewhere and so it was just a lot of uh, reinfusing with cash and trying to make smart decisions in the short term that sometimes turned into the long term that sometimes turned into burning me. Yeah. You know, there's well, that. That happens. Yep. But in the meantime, uh, Modern came up, Legacy popped, and I, through, through the help of channels like our Discord and a number of other groups, I've been able to kind of grow as a speculator and somebody who is able to finance his own game, uh, you know, through this. Yeah. I, uh, my, my start with, like, actual specking was back when recently actually aether revolt got released uh and i remember being at a local game store with some friends and i was like man fatal push looks insane true name nemesis should be twice as much as it is because at that point swords was the removal spell in the format and i was like well this dodges swords and it dodges fatal push so if fatal push is everywhere true name's gonna go up oh yeah so at the time, True Name was 15 bucks, And then I was like, well, I'm going to buy like 50 of these. And then they shot up to like 35, 40 bucks for a little bit. I buy listed them at the time for 20 to 25 each. And out we went. Uh, I, you know, earlier on in the history of the podcast, we said our idea of a good market manipulation is bumping Soldevi excavations up to the front page of MTG stocks. I actually was able to out uh, some specs similar to that, not quite Soldevi Excavations, because uh, that did not work very well. <laughs> A solid reserveless card. Yeah. Oh, baby. Yeah, that's uh, mor moral of the story. Failed specs are stuff like Psychic Vortex. This bag has like 40 of them in here, and uh, it it's trash. Why is it here? Oh, hot garbage. Yeah. So I, I actually, you know, when I hit a spec that I think is good, I'm not super greedy. Like a while ago, I called Kiki Jiki. I think it was uh, week like 13 or something like that. Yeah. And at the time, the market on it was $11. Well, I was able to get them, and I know because I'm looking at my TCG order history right now, uh, this was a cash pickup for me. I was able to get them for around $7 each. Uh, there was recently a buy list that had them for 10 bucks on it. So I buy listed every single one yep. for $10. Uh, you know, on, on the cash sure. ones, I'm a lot less attached to those. And I tend to be like, do I get my 20%? Great. Out it goes. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of picking up with trades, 
Uh, I actually have, you know, in my trade binder, there is a page of the stuff I'm trying to pick up and trade. And the stuff I pick up and trade, I'm actually, oddly enough, is way less liquid to me. Mm-hmm. When I pick it up in a trade, like I've been trying to get FNM Lightning Greaves in as many trades as I can, I want to hold on to all of those until I can get like 30 to 40% up, or if I can trade them out at double what I got them at. And, you know, I think that's the contrast, and you're, you're in my style, is, you know, you're very much like, well, you know, get it for a throw in is where you go with your trades. Yes. And I actually, you know, the stuff that tends to be a little bit more expensive on the cash side is actually what I try to get in trades. So, you know, I'm, I'm out here trying to get stuff like, you know, time vaults in a trade. <laughs> which yeah, but that's not a throw Probably in. a bad example. But, um, and then, you know, Sarkin's on ceiling. I'm like, all right, well, I've got 30 bucks to spend. Let's go to TCG player. And I've spent 30 bucks on way less than that. So find all of the sellers with four or more yeah. and just buy them. Uh, that's and, how I did Bounty of Luxa and all those other small ones. Like, yeah. It's, you know, it's not worth your time really to go out there and be like, all right, well, let me see who's got what I'm looking for yeah. and maybe pick up one every couple of weeks, uh, especially because that stuff often isn't in people's trade binders. But, you know, my, my thing is, and I've said this before, when I go in on a spec, I decide what's my timeline here. So if my timeline on a card is six months, mm-hmm. you know, I throw it in the box, I write the date on it, six months later I pull it out. Yep. And if I can make anything on it at that point, usually yeah. I'm like, you know, out of here. Yeah. But then there's you know, similar, the infinite time specs, uh, such as for me, this here's energy field. This has about 20 energy fields in it, which was my pick a few weeks ago. That's one that to me, I see as more of an infinite timeline. Yeah. You know, I, I don't expect it to just pop. It's one of those cards that inevitably is like a card away from breaking. Similar almost to uh, Shadow of the Grave. That the really return cycling card? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the return cycling card. That's a card that I will always try to pick up. I'll dig through bulk boxes, or if I have extra credit at a shop, mm-hmm. I'm not going to come back to. It's like, all right, well, let me dig through your Amonkhet binder and see if I can find it because it's a card that seems like it's a day away from breaking. Yeah, I actually want to check something on that because I play it in my Zerd deck, and I think you have to. Like, if you're, if you're playing Zer, you're going to be getting Astral Slide and now Astral Glide, right? So that means you're just going to be yeah. cycling through a bunch of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Market's 38 cents. I mean, it's still... Yeah, Zer yeah. isn't even the number one commander for that card. It's in the oh, top wow. three, four, five. It's in the top five. One of them is uh, Glinti Nephilim, listed as unofficial. That's a four, the... Four mana Nephilim guy, yeah. Grixis and green or Jund and blue, however you want to look at it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's it's to me that's a, a must have card if you're playing Zer or uh, I guess really only Zer. Uh, the Earl is not black; it's Nea, right? Yeah. Earl the Mistalker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I uh, agree. And now that we have cycling back in modern, I maintain that that deck is banned. Some people are playing around with other colors, but who knows? Like it could splash black for Shadow of the Grave for some kill that. Yeah, I haven't seen. And, but this this Shadow of the Grave to me is a spec that's never going to fail. I'll just sit on it forever until I get it. 
Yeah. But if I go into a spec such as Psychic Vortex again, and I know, uh, look, this is a massive failure. There's no reserveless bubble again. It popped, and you know. Yeah. The market is where it is. Now I'm sitting on these that aren't even on buy list for twenty cents. Uh, at that point, I'll probably use this as packing material. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, for me, it's important to know, like, all right, what's my timeline? And that's how I determine my failed or successful specs. Yeah. And, you know, if, if it's failed, gone. If it's successful and I think it has room to grow, maybe hold on to it. But typically, again, once I hit that 20%, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Like, I got my margin. I get cash back. Or, you know, in some cases, it's 20% up on cash and 50% on credit. Yeah. Depending, you know, Card Kingdom, Miniature Market, wherever you're going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, to me, the way I, that, that I've done it is I'm a much more structured spec person, by and large. Uh, you know, exceptions like Shadow of the Grave or I have these promo dismisses. Yeah, it's all blue cards. Sorry. Oh, uh, <laughs> look at you. Yeah, these are, uh, you know, this is Starfoil. I love them. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, Like yeah. I said, they're the next big thing, I think. So that type of stuff is, eh, at what point do I decide, you know, art versus science? I guess mm-hmm. I'm going to get rid of them now. No, I get that. And I think that's kind of important. To, uh, uh, an important point to talk about in the art versus science thing is that if you're going to sit on a spec and you want to turn it quickly, you should be very aware of what you paid for it so you know what your price out is. The nice part about the, the spec box that I have, just my one row, is that almost every one of these was throw-ins because they were effectively all cards in standard. Uh, yeah. There are things in here like uh, F&M ringleaders that I've been buying for years at about $2 each. I have a number of F&M Warchiefs, both versions. Yeah. Otherwise, the rest of the, this box is all standard like bulk-ish cards that look like they could or should see play in other formats. And I think it is very important to understand what you spent on your cards so you know what to get out on them, especially yeah. if you're spending cash on them or uh, you're hunting them down in binders. Yeah, I and that's that's the one thing, like for cash especially, I love TCG Player because you can just go to order history all time. Yep. And like I can find out, you know, on these Soldevi excavations, I, <laughs> I am stubborn and I am not going to out them except for 20%. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Never happening. I'm just gonna sit on these forever. I paid between four and six dollars. Jeez. So <laughs> it's just not happening. I'm stuck with these things for fuck ever. Uh, and you know that's that's the thing that I think a lot of people aren't necessarily mindful of is what they've spent. Yeah. Uh, on their specs and when to out them for a profit, and that's very like that's my entire model for it. Mm-hmm. That's how I decide what's failed. That's why I decide when to get rid of it. It, that's that's just the way I do it. No, no, I, it's definitely the way to go. And like, there are some cards that I I can definitely go back on and, and look at the price. And every now and I do to kind of lament. And I was thinking about it because I know with uh, the Urza deck popping up after KCI being banned, like a lot of the pieces in that deck lost value. But yeah. Semblance Amble Anvil was always floated around, and I had a bunch of them. So I actually just now was like, I wonder what the price on that card is. And I'm still buy a listing like 70 cents short, I think, of what I paid for. Oof. It. Yeah. Big oof. But, I mean, the card is, is nuts. It's another Cloud Key-style card that is most likely never going to come back. No. I do. If it does, it would 
just be insane. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's one of those things, like you said, like cloud key. It'll just sit there and one day you'll look up and it'll be a $10 card yep. and you're like, oh, well, well, all right, I yeah. guess. Exactly. And so something like that, I'm not too hard up on for sitting on and just waiting. Like, uh, yeah, spells you cost to share a card type with the exiled card cost two less, right? So you yeah. can exile like, any non-land card. It's Mycosynclad is with artifacts. It's great, guys. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> exactly. It, 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 you know, it's all part and parcel. Oh, stop shaking your head. It's all part and parcel of that. <laughs> like, it is what it is, and Symbol Example is just an enabler. Yeah. And so as a, a combo enabler, I'm happy sitting on that. That's the difference between this and, like, Wormfang Manta. Lazav is the enabler. Wormfang Manta is part of the combo. So it's, like, eh, kind of yeah. dicey. Uh, same thing with Nith, Nim Death Mantle. Nim Death Mantle can be used all over the place in a number of combos, but compared to something like Ashnod's Altar, it's not nearly as good. The Sacrifice Outlet is generally almost always more important than the Nim Death Mantle piece of it. Yeah. Like, the Enabler, the Sac Outlet, is almost going to always going to be more important than the thing that re- that returns it, because there you have options. You know, yeah. If you wanted to, you could Sac it, put, put uh, sorry, Sac Lazav, put it in your graveyard to get the extra turn effect, put it back on top of your library with Haunted Crossroads or with uh, Volrath Stronghold, draw it in your extra turn, play it, like, all that again, because of Ashnod's Altar. You don't need the Nim Death Mantle. Yeah. So that's also part of it, too, is you gotta be, you gotta know... If you're looking at combo cards, what part of the combo it is, Where, why is it important to that combo, and is it replaceable or is it redundant? And from there, you can kind of pick and choose what you want to do and, and how you want to handle things. And I, I think the, the difference in the way we do things is also really important, too, because for somebody who's just playing standard or modern and wants to just kind of like, quote-unquote, grind their way through finance, they're most likely going to be doing a lot of work in binders. And so you yeah. got to figure out, do you want to churn quickly or do you want to wait a little bit and then churn? Do you want to sit on things and then hope they go up a la like that box that I have that was made up of all like standard hits? Yeah. You know, what do you want to do? And it's really important to track your wins and your losses because they do balance out. If you are an accountant, you don't just track how much money your company brought in. You have to track how much yeah. you've spent, and that that's going to tell you your overall your overall profitability. Even if for some reason you think your time is worth zero, and so you're not going to account for that, you are going to have to take into consideration the ramifications of your losses along with your wins. And for every day that you're not outing those specs, they're taking up, they're they're tying up money usually and space. Yeah, both are usually your premiums. So, like I I just created like my fourth quote unquote box. And it's another uh, 800 count, and that's basically as big as I'm going to go. But that's because I finally had to separate out uh, reserve list and old school. They, mm. Because they're contained in their own little bubble compared to everything else. I had to go yeah. through like my EDH, the boxes I had for like EDH cards, and uh, my spec boxes, and just kind of pull it all together because reserve list just floats around and does its own thing. Yeah, and who knows what what's going to actually happen exactly and i just want it in one place to quickly look otherwise like i said it's like my infinite my infinite quantity box my like generic spec box and then like that gas box it's just like i gotta check in every couple of weeks to see what's popped and why yeah you know that's fair i think this is a very important lesson for people to learn and failure is generally the way you learn and grow if nobody succeeds 100 percent of the time there's generally a failure unless you're like Seth MacFarlane, and then you hit with your demo Family Guy reel on Adult Swim. Or yeah, a and then cartoon that's all gas. Takes off. Yeah, <laughs> like you just win forever. But yeah, we are not him. No, shocker. Uh, but I'm gonna move into picks. If you are. Yeah. 
All right. Let's take it away. All right. So uh, I want to go first because my pick is hot and it is quadded this weekend between when I announced it and today it is uh, just yeah. blown the F up. And it is uh, Aria of Flame. Uh, I sat on this card and waited for it to kind of do some stuff because I was wary about the ETB clause of gain 10 life and Storm hasn't really been putting up results. So you need to find another deck for it. And lo, Jerry T comes to the rescue and starts playing it in Phoenix to 5 O's. Yeah. By the time you play your third spell, you've only let them have. You've only given your opponent one life. After that, you just start doming them easily for the win. Arya is an outstanding card and has gone from under a dollar midweek to over four, or just about four, as of this recording. Yeah. I, I was going to move into this card on Friday, but thanks to Delta tying up money for multiple flights and not refunding me, I was not able to. Yeah, it was <clears> great. <throat> Yeah, I got all my money back yesterday after this card had just fucking rocketed. Exploded, yeah. yeah. So like, all right, I have missed the boat on this. <laughs> uh, in the next couple of days, we'll probably see it settle at five and it'll hold there for a little while longer. Right now, there's a problem with visibility into the modern deck lists that are 5 owing uh, and just modern results as a whole. So you're going to have to wait on that. And the more we see these results roll in, the more we see Aria in those result sets, we're going to see the card tick up and up end up i expect it to be probably an eight and then an eight to ten dollar card by the end of july as long as modern is still a format people are playing i don't know if it'll be at a pro tour because if i had to guess most of those guys are going to be on hogak or decks that answer hogak and while phoenix is good it does suffer splash damage from hogak hate aria yeah. flame does sidestep that because it only cares about cards you're casting from hand so you don't have to worry about recurring the phoenix you just keep drawing cards and dealing damage with aria it's a way better sphinx's bone wand yeah and I think this card has uh, both short and long-term playability. There'll probably be a gap in the middle where it'll dive down a little bit in terms of popularity because the format is definitely going to shift once uh, Hogak is solved, either by a ban or just by the format itself. Yeah. And then we'll see it tick back up as a long-term player in this format. It is a goofy card, so it could see some kind of EDH reprint in years to come, but I doubt it. They haven't reprinted, uh, was it Magmatic Vortex or the one where you throw lands at people's face yet? Yeah, and yeah. That was a card before the Jund Lands deck matters was printed for Commander, so who knows the timeline. Yeah. But if you can get in for under three and wait until Bialis trade or sell direct for five in a couple of weeks, you're going to make your money back. And I think this is a good... Uh, I don't want to call it a pump and dump. Because you're... N I think that option's there, but I think it's fine long-term as yeah. well. It's going to be worth more. And yeah. a longer on a longer timeline than a pump and dump. Yeah. So that's why I'm hesitant to call that. I would think somewhere between one and three months is your opportune time to get out in the short run, and then after that, like I said, maybe late winter, early spring next year, it could be when it cycles back around again. If, once I expect it to take its dive and come back. Yeah. But uh, that is me. All right, and speaking of answers to Hogak, my pick is RTR rip so one of the nice things we know about the london mulligan is that it does reward linear strategies such as hogak mm -hmm. it also rewards you for running random sideboard pieces that have utility in the main such as rest in peace and all of the blue white lists which uh mr gabriel nasif had been doing for quite some time prior to hogak being printed he was on one or two in his main 
I think this is one of the better pieces that you can have in your main for general graveyard hate. Mm -hmm. Leyline stops Hogak a lot better, but Hogak is not the only deck. Probably will be, like you said, the only deck at the Pro Tour. But, sorry, Mythic Championship. Sorry. Uh, But I think that as the meta starts to adapt, we're going to see an uptick in the amount of people playing Rest in Peace, either in their main or their side. Mm -hmm. And I think you may even see a case where you have, you know, some Abzan lists coming back because having access to Path as well as Rip out of the board puts it in a much better position than, like, a Rock list. Yeah. So we're just kind of fallen out of favor lately. I think that it's pretty well positioned. The reason I went for RTR instead of A25 is that RTR's somehow cheaper uh, by about a dollar on average than the A25 list. Additionally... Oh, yeah, look at that. Yeah, it's not... Unfortunately, the one you're likely to find in people's trade binders as much, but I definitely think that it has a lot more room to grow. Uh, than the A25. A25 paper stock is just bad, which I don't like. I don't like the border. Yep. Uh, any of it. Like, there's just a lot of strikes for me personally against it. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I'm up to about 11 non foil rips now in the spec box. And it's just something that I think, as the meta adapts, we'll start to see it have a bigger role. Uh, not to mention that, you know, the art is done by Therese Nielsen, which who knows if she's ever going to do art again. Yeah. Uh, what do you think happens when the spellbook comes out? Uh, so when the spellbook comes out, I actually expect to see a little bit of a dip. Okay. Um, this the spellbook art is currently uh, yeah. you're looking at a low of around eight eighty nine. I know it hits. You know it hasn't released yet, so this is obviously all pre sales. Yeah. But I think it's likely that you'll see in about mm, maybe a month. Once these hit, these will be the low hanging fruit. Okay. rather than at least the non-foils uh, than the RTR one. But I still think that long-term, you know, generally I feel like, at least based on what we saw with Jace, there's no money in these things. No. I mean, obviously, you know, this one is pretty stacked. You've got a good list of stuff that probably needed a reprint. You've got a unique path to exile, a worship, uh, rest in peace, martyr's bond was randomly too much money. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think that it's likely going to be harder to move yeah. a spellbook once. And I think the RTRs you'll be able to get out of real quick. So a question about the spellbooks, cause I honestly forgot it's a set number of cards plus one random. And the one random is guaranteed to be a foil of any of the cards in the spellbook. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's eight cards in this one. We've got true conviction, worship, mm-hmm. uh, shielded by faith. Rip, Path, Bond, Jura, and Blackblade Reforged because tie-in for the storyline. Yeah. But the Blackblade has sweet Richard Kane Ferguson art. Uh, and then, you know, one of those is randomly a foil. So I think you'll probably see, you know, Seb did an art for one of them. I think that one's probably going to be the Chase foil because everybody loves Seb McKinnon right yeah. now. So, um I've been asked a lot for from the Jace deck foil gifts, foil counterspell, and foil brainstorm because it is the cheapest way to get all those cards in foil. In foil. Yeah. Yeah. Mystical Tutor, some people hem and haw between original art but FTV foiling, right? It's FTV 20 or something. And yeah. uh, the new 
mystical tutor art from the Jace book, but yeah, uh, never really the non foils. Yeah, and I mean those. that's that's the thing is that those those cards are desirable because of how cheap they are. Yeah. Because they're the cheapest way to foil out your legacy deck with brainstorms and counter spells if you need them. Yep. I mean, like, yeah, the brainstorms down to nine bucks now. At one point, it was thirty. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's only gone down. Yeah. So I I think that you know it's definitely something to be aware of. I just don't think you really need to worry about it that much. No. Uh, okay. I was just curious about that because I, I honestly didn't remember what these what the Jace deck did to a lot of the similar cards that saw high-end play. I mean, it, it's obvious that it's not going to affect things like Brainstorm from Mercadian Masks and brain, uh, sure. FNM Brainstorm, yeah. Mercadian Masks Counterspell, and 7th Edition Counterspell, because those are very sought-after cards with very unique art on, in a very low print run, so those prices weren't going to budge. But yeah. You have things like Mystical Tutor, which is only playable in uh, EDH and who cares about vintage i guess and gifts and gifts storm and that was gifts is you know it, at the time it was a five dollar card yeah. when the spell book released and it dipped down to three and now it's you know for the non-modern masters one like champions you're still looking at about three to five dollars yeah. it's not a deck so. anymore yeah, people are holding off. I mean, maybe it comes back with Aria of Flame. Maybe it's just lurking in the four ones that we haven't seen it, or maybe it's picked up five O's and we don't see it because they don't release every five O list anymore. But yeah, it, it's good to know and good uh, to keep an eye on it because the announcement about the Gideon Jera spellbook has been pretty light. They had the oopsie in April where it made they made it sound like they were releasing it on the same weekend as uh, War of the Spark or something like that. Yeah. And that was awful. Yeah, and then they uh, they recanted on that and gave us a release date in the next couple of weeks. But uh, I, I like Rest in Peace as a long-term hold because it always has playability in EDH and other singleton formats like that. People yeah. have to play in the graveyard, so if you're going to play white, you might as well play as many ways to just kind of slow that one down as yeah. you know, that in the bud. Uh, interestingly enough, I just realized from the Gideon Spellbook, uh, Martyr's Bond in there is the only way to get that card foil is the Spellbook because it was a commander-only release. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, So rip. Rip yeah. that card. That might be a, an interesting long-term hold if anybody wants to move into EDH fo- EDH-only foils. Uh, oh, it's also the Seb art, so there's another reason. There you go. Yeah. All right, well. I mean, that's it for me this week. Same. You good? All right, guys. Thanks uh, for tuning in, guys. Yeah, that's been uh, like a ballcast for this week. I am at Halt. I am Reptar on Twitter. I am at Thirsty Sizzler. We are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter and on Patreon, and we are still looking for people to fill the last few gaps in our Patreon for the UMA giveaway. Yep. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Catch you later. See you.